Jesus appears to the disciples. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And he stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This is God's word. Evening all. Uh, What a joy uh, as we think about the resurrection of Jesus together. Uh, Why don't we pray uh, as we begin. Heavenly Father, it is the event that that defines all history and all reality. And we pray that as we uh, spend some time thinking about it uh, this evening, that you would fill our hearts again with joy and with certainty uh, at the hope of the resurrection. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do keep your Bibles open at at Luke 24. Let um, Let me begin by taking you back. Uh, to Paris, uh, 14th of June, 1940. Uh, Notre Dame still in one piece. And after just five weeks of fighting, um, Paris has fallen uh, to the Nazis. I've got a little uh, photo of it there for you. For any, um, if you're, in case you're a Premier League footballer, uh, just to be clear, the Nazis are the bad guys in the uniforms, uh, just so you know. Um, there you are in Occupy Paris. For the next four years... Uh, you live in fear and uncertainty. Um, It it sort of hangs over the whole city like a cloud. Uh, Your life is basically on hold because you can have no certainty about what the next day will bring. Uh, You don't know how long you'll be occupied. Uh, You have no idea if freedom is coming. Fast forward uh, to 25th of August, 1944. After more than four years, uh, the Nazis there pushed out as the Allied forces come to liberate uh, Paris. Your fear is turned to joy. You fly a, a trickler in celebration. Life can begin again. The, the, the cloud of uncertainty has, has lifted uh, from you, from the whole city. Uh, life is fundamentally different 
life can begin once again. As we think about the resurrection of Jesus this evening, it is that sort of impact uh, that we're thinking of. Huge fear to joy. Um, It is the defining point of all history, and so it it changes everything uh, fundamentally. We get a glimpse of that in our passage this evening. We'll mainly be focusing on uh, verses 36 uh, to 49. We see it in the lives of these disciples as Jesus moves them from fear and doubt to joy and certainty. And the change as we track it through is is just remarkable. And the past few chapters uh, in Luke's gospel, the disciples, um, they haven't been doing particularly well. Uh, They've actually been nowhere uh, to be seen. Ever since Jesus was arrested, uh, nothing from the disciples. Uh, The only mention we've had is, is Peter, and he was denying Jesus in chapter 22. And when they finally do appear, uh, receiving the report from, from the women who saw the empty tomb, how do they respond? Verse 11 of chapter 24. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Even now in our passages, as Jesus appears right there before them, their initial reaction isn't one of belief, but one of fear, one of doubt. But see, these very same disciples are those who, by the end of the chapter, are totally changed. Now no longer characterized by fear and doubt, but worshiping at the risen Jesus, coming back in Jerusalem with great joy to await the promised spirit. That is some turnaround, isn't it? From, from fear to joy, from doubt to certainty. So certain are they of uh, uh, the truth of uh, the risen Jesus that they will spend the rest of their lives uh, proclaiming that he is Lord. And that certainty is, is the whole reason that we've got Luke's gospel. And um, so if you flick back uh, right to the beginning of Luke's gospel, uh, Luke chapter one, this is the only time I'll get you to flick, so do turn it up. Luke chapter one gives us the reason uh, for why Luke's gospel has been written. From verse one, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. See, we're given Luke's gospel that we might have certainty. So that when, when we're prone to doubt, when we wonder, is this whole thing true? We can go to this carefully uh, researched, well put together account and know for certain that Jesus rose from the dead. And that, that sort of joyful certainty uh, that the resurrection brings Um, It it makes a difference. It must make a difference. It will make a difference for for Christians in Sri Lanka today. We've already been praying about that. It will make a difference for the friends and family of that couple who we were praying for uh, earlier, uh, Toby and Millie, uh, at a church not far from here, probably known to to some of us. Um, Died tragically uh, in in a freak accident 
uh, while on holiday. Um, the, um, it makes a difference in that reality. Here's what, um, something that Toby's sister, uh, who's a Christian, wrote on Facebook. It was reported uh, on the BBC News wonderfully. Here's the difference that the reality of the resurrection makes. She writes this. She says, our loss of Toby and Millie is inconceivable. Something that will take a lifetime for many to come to terms with. But we are confident of the joy they're experiencing right now with Christ on high. We continue to grieve but we will never lose sight of this certain hope. That's the difference that the rally of the resurrection makes. I don't know about you, but don't you want a little bit more of that sort of certainty, that sort of joy and that makes a difference uh, even in the, the toughest uh, of times? It is the resurrection of Jesus that will make that difference for us. So look, our, our aim this evening is, is very simple. I don't think I'll tell you uh, anything that you haven't already heard uh, before. But here's what we're going to try and do. I want us to come away from looking at this passage more convinced of the certainty of the resurrection. More convinced that it is real, that we can trust it. But more than that, I want us to come away with a joy uh, at the truth of the resurrection. I want that, that joy to change us, to shape how we live uh, each day. And when, I, when we talk about joy, I don't mean a sort of um, jumping around, uh, giddy, sugar high kind of joy. Um, you can get that down at M&M World. Um, the, the joy we're talking about might at times be that kind of jumping around joy, but, but it is a, a more deep-rooted joy, a joy that makes a difference, even in grief. That's, that's, that's the aim for this evening. Here's how we'll work through it. If you want to follow through, it's the outlines on your, uh, the back of your service order. We'll see that, that joyful certainty is grounded in reality. It's rooted in the Bible. And it enables people to proclaim the risen Jesus. Those are the three things we'll see. So we'll, we'll start uh, with our first point. Joyful certainty is grounded in reality. Let me pick up our reading again from verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, think, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. You can imagine the scene, can't you? The disciples all gathered together. It's been a pretty rough few days for them, to say the least. They've been scattered all across the city and beyond. But they're back together and they're saying, have you heard the reports? Have, have you, what have you heard? Who have you spoken to? Could it really be true? I guess it'd be a pretty noisy exchange as everyone tries to share uh, the, the information, tries to piece everything together. Confused, uncertain. Into that confusion and uncertainty, Jesus appears 
and speaks. Peace be with you. I think if it had um, been me in a similar situation, I might have been tempted to, to greet them with a boo. That might have, um, but I, I guess Jesus is a lot more godly than me, so he, he goes with them. Um, peace be with you. The disciples, they, they still don't get it, do they? They're, they're in total confusion, as usual. They think they're seeing a ghost. And so unsurprisingly, they're, they're pretty frightened. And they're not just frightened, though. It's not just sort of physical terror at the sight of Jesus. It is doubt. They don't believe. Jesus, he knows that. It's probably written on their faces. But he certainly knows it from their hearts. Why are you troubled, he says, and why do doubts rise in your mind? Jesus gets that the resurrection will be hard uh, to believe, even when Jesus is standing right there in front of you. But Jesus doesn't leave them, um, and he doesn't want them to be left in doubt and fear. And so he, he, sh- he wants to give them certainty. That's what he seeks to do uh, in the next little bit. He shows them a few things about him, himself, doesn't he? He shows them, firstly, that, that he really was crucified. This Jesus who stands before them was crucified. And he, sh- he shows them his hands, and he shows them his feet, uh, those parts that would most visibly bear uh, the signs of his crucifixion. This is the same Jesus who Friday uh, was dying on a cross, Sometimes um, people want to explain away the resurrection by saying, oh, you know, it wasn't that Jesus died. Uh, You know, he just sort of fainted. Um, And, uh, you know, when they laid him in a tomb, he had to lie down for a couple of days and felt a bit better and uh, and got up uh, and and carried on. Um, I don't know how convincing you find that as a a theory. I don't know if you've seen the, um, the film The Revenant, uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio, Oscar-winning uh, performance. He basically is just sort of angry uh, for, from sort of the beginning of the film to most of the way through, just sort of anger builds and builds and builds. It's, it's a very compelling uh, performance. Uh, he does it very well. But um, quite near the beginning, this isn't a spoiler, I don't think, um, quite near the beginning, he gets attacked uh, by a bear. And he's out in the woods, so these, you know, there are grizzly bears around. It's not just sort of a little bear. It's a, it's a big bear. And it's, and it's, pretty, um, it's pretty rough, uh, he, um, you know, the bear is sort of clawing at him um, and sort of bites into his back and it's all pretty rough and you, you know, and then the bear goes away and you think, oh, right, okay, he's, he's, he's going to be all right. And then the bear comes back and goes at him a little bit more. Anyway, eventually, um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character manages to somehow get a gun and, um, and shoot it at the bear a couple of times and the bear dies and sort of flops on him. He's pretty um, badly beaten up. And through the rest of the film, it's basically his recovery uh, from that. It takes him weeks and weeks uh, to recover from, from this attack. And he, he has to be sort of carried around by, uh, by his colleagues on a stretcher. Uh, he can't speak uh, for most of the rest of the film. When you get attacked by a bear, it's not the kind of thing you get over um, quickly. Jesus has, has been brutally beaten. Um, he's been whipped by the Roman soldiers. He's been nailed to a cross and hung there for several hours. You don't just get up and walk away from that. Even if he had just lost consciousness. Um, he, he's now walked uh, seven miles 
from Jerusalem to Emmaus, having a, a, a pretty in-depth conversation with two people. They've run back to Jerusalem. He's pretty much run back uh, with them to appear standing uh, before, before the disciples and having a conversation with them. If that's supposed to be the sort of rational explanation for, uh, for how Jesus couldn't possibly have risen from the dead, it's got quite a few holes in it. Jesus really had been crucified. He really was dead. The marks on his hands and his feet prove it. Something supernatural has happened. He shows them that he really was crucified. He also shows them that he really has risen. See um, in our passage, look down again, how keen Jesus is that the disciples look, that they see, that they touch This isn't just an illusion, but a a physical uh, resurrection. Jesus is no ghost, he's flesh and bones. It's also, I guess, why he eats in front of them. Might seem a sort of strange uh, little detail to include, but it, it shows the disciples that the risen Jesus has a physical body. And this isn't some smoke and mirrors trick. He really is there in a physical body. He really has risen. And so the resurrection is not just wishful thinking. And even the disciples who were there find it difficult to believe at first. And they don't believe when the women first come and report at the empty tomb. They don't even believe it when they see his hands and his feet. They say, we're told, they still do not believe because of joy and amazement. See, these, these disciples... They're not sort of gullible dreamers, you know, sort of so desperate uh, for Jesus to, to not be dead that they convince themselves that they've seen him alive. That's not, that's not how they are. They're thinking, I guess what, what many of us often think uh, when it comes to resurrection, it, is, it, is it too good to be true? Is it just too good uh, to be true? But here is Jesus in front of them, they can see him, they can hear him, they can touch him. And the whole encounter is there to give them certainty. This is not a dream, this really happened. And I guess through them, it it is there to give us that certainty as well. We are not those who have seen and heard and touched the risen Jesus. But that doesn't make it any less real. I guess there'll be very few times in, in any of our lives where we firsthand witness something that is truly world-defining, life-transforming. But that doesn't mean that we go through life disbelieving uh, all the things that we haven't seen for ourselves. And we trust those who were there to tell us about big events in world history. We have the eyewitnesses for the resurrection of Jesus. We have the reliable testimony of those who were there, who saw and heard and touched. So let me say this evening, if, you're, if you are skeptical, have you taken a look at the evidence for the resurrection? It'd be pretty foolish, wouldn't it, to claim that the evidence wasn't convincing without actually looking for it, looking at it for yourself. We have wonderful evidence within the Gospels, four accounts, all proclaiming the death and the resurrection of Jesus. 
If you haven't looked into that uh, for yourself, that would be a great thing to do uh, with your Easter Monday. See, the joyful certainty that comes from the resurrection, it is grounded in reality. Secondly then, moving on to our second point, joyful certainty is rooted in the Bible. It is rooted in the Bible. Let me read again from verse 44. Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of the prophets, and pardon me, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. See, Jesus saying, the Bible will only make sense in the light of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus had already tried to teach the disciples this back in Luke 18. Uh, He had taken them aside and he told them, we are going up to Jerusalem. Everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. That's what Jesus had said before his death. But the disciples, they didn't get it at the time. But here is Jesus, the risen Jesus in front of them saying, look, I get it. This resurrection thing is is hard to get your head round. But it is the thing that the whole Bible is pointing towards. It is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. It is the fulfillment of all those strange passages that you've never really been able to get your head around before. Passages like Isaiah 53, where you've got the servant of God who will die, but who'll also be given a portion among the great. How does that work? He'll die, but he'll also be given this portion. Psalm 22, God promises he will not abandon his king or let his king see decay. All the kings in Israel's history had died, every single one of them. So what's going on in Psalm 22? Or uh, 2 Samuel 7, God promises to David that one of his descendants will build a house for God's name and God will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. But there's never been a king whose kingdom lasted forever. What do we make of those passages? How do we understand them without the death and resurrection of Jesus? They are all fulfilled in Jesus' death and resurrection. And the disciples suddenly see that as Jesus blows their mind, opens their minds uh, to the truth that the whole Bible is pointing to. It is possible, isn't it, to spend uh, a whole lifetime reading the Bible, studying it, I guess, if Jesus hasn't opened our minds to show us that simple truth that everything points to the, his death and resurrection, will there'll just be words on a page for us. But when Jesus opened your minds and, and, and you can see that, you can see that everything is about him, that's when joy and certainty comes rooted in the words of scripture. So let me ask you again, don't you long to have a greater joy in the things of God. 
And maybe you're not someone who needs to be more convinced about the facts of the resurrection, the reality of it. Maybe you're someone who just feels like it doesn't have much of an impact on you day to day. If you long to be more joyful about about the truth of the resurrection, I think a simple solution uh, from this passage would be read your Bible. Read your Bible and see the depths and the riches of all that Jesus has accomplished uh, through his death and resurrection. I think I have found that those Christians who are, are most joyful are those who just read the Bibles more. And the Christians who, who are able to hold resolutely to faith, even in the worst, uh, the most difficult of life situations, are those who read their Bibles because they have a depth and an understanding and a joy in the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection. I guess none of us um, will probably feel like we, we are as joyful as, as we should be about the resurrection of Jesus, even on a day like Easter Sunday. Sometimes those things will leave us cold. So I've um, been challenged by this passage this week. And the real challenge for me has been what has brought me joy uh, as I've come into this Easter weekend? Is it these solid, rock-solid uh, truths that Jesus died, that he rose again? Is that what gives me joy, gets me up in the morning? Or is it just that I get a long weekend in the sunshine? It's a challenge, isn't it? Am I reading my Bible? Because that joyful certainty is rooted in the scriptures. It's founded in reality, it's rooted in the Bible, and finally, thirdly and finally, joyful certainty enables people to proclaim the risen Jesus. Pick it up again at verse 46. He told them, Jesus told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. See, these disciples, this ragtag bunch of believers, they need to have joy and certainty in the resurrection because they're the ones who are going to be the witnesses. They're the ones who are going to take this message first to Jerusalem, but from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, proclaiming Jesus is Lord what is the message that they're going to proclaim? What is, what is the implication, the main implication of Jesus' death and resurrection? I guess if you ask different Christians, they might give you different answers uh, to that question. I had um, this little leaflet pop through my letterbox this week. Um, sorry, it's so small. Uh, let me read it to you. On the front, uh, it says, what if you could put an end to all your problems? It's an intriguing question. Let me read on. So you open it up a little bit, and it says, uh, very boldly, you can. That's encouraging. Let me read on a little bit, a little bit further. What is the answer? It says, quite clever, really. Uh, Nail it, is what it says. Nail it. Then at the bottom, it says, which problem do you need to nail to the cross once and for all? 
There's a little space to write it down. Bring this leaflet on Good Friday at 3 p.m. I don't know what you make of that leaflet. I don't know what that church is trying to do with that leaflet. I don't know what they preached at that service on, on Good Friday at 3 p.m. But I'm guessing it may not have been repentance for the forgiveness of sins. If the cross and resurrection of Jesus are all about me getting rid of my problems, then I think Jesus would disagree with us. His message would be a bit more like this. Um, your life is, is an offense to God uh, because you live it as if he isn't there. That offense is so great that it deserves God's eternal uh, punishment. And so you need forgiveness. Forgiveness that only the death and resurrection of Jesus can offer because he took that punishment in your place. And so you need to repent. You need to turn around and stop living for yourself and start living for God. Now look, I get it. That, that would be a bit tricky to put on a little leaflet. It's only small. But Jesus says the implication of his resurrection, the, the main implication is that we should repent for the forgiveness of sins. And as he, I guess, commissions these first disciples, these first witnesses to go and proclaim that to Jerusalem and to the world, those disciples, they need that joyful certainty in the truth of the resurrection, don't they? Because let's face it, that's not an easy message uh, to go out and proclaim. Repentance will never be popular uh, as a message. It wasn't then in the first century. It certainly isn't today. It's not popular but it is glorious. And do you see that if these disciples are certain of the resurrection, then they will have confidence to proclaim that message to the world. If the disciples really, really do have joy in the truth of the resurrection, then they'll want to share it with those around them, even when that's hard, even when they don't want to hear I guess um, when the people of Paris told their stories of, uh, of liberation in 1944, I, I, I'm sure it wasn't all jokes and laughter and banter. There would have been parts that, that would have been very difficult uh, to retell and remember. But the, the story of that liberation is all the more glorious because of the horrors of occupation that joy of liberation is even greater because of it. And so coming back to us then, as we believe in this message of the risen Jesus, which I hope you do, we become proclaimers of that same message that the disciples took. We began with it, didn't we? We began our service with it. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. So repent for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Look, for some of us, um, we may never have repented uh, and, and, and sought forgiveness for our sins. Well, there is no better day to do it than Easter Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. So can I encourage you to do that? Uh, to repent uh, for the forgiveness of your sins. But for most of us, I suppose, here this evening, uh, we will have, uh, have done that. 
at some point. We have repented for the forgiveness of our sins. Well, then the challenge for us is when we're in the park or down the pub tomorrow enjoying the sunshine, when we're in the library or our workplace uh, back in on Tuesday, will the, will the joy and the certainty of the resurrection make a difference? Will it make us those who are bold in proclaiming Jesus is Lord and all the implications of that? When your colleague asks you how your Easter weekend was, will you focus on the sunshine and the park? Or will you tell them by hearing again of the wonderful message of a risen Savior? Will we speak of Jesus not because we have to, not because it's the thing we, we know we should do as Christians, but because we want to, because the gospel message is real and is wonderful to us. Now, of course, the disciples, they couldn't do it on their own. And they actually weren't just running on certainty and joy uh, forevermore. God gave them his spirit uh, that they might have boldness, that they might be able to preach of the risen Savior. That's why Jesus tells them here to wait uh, for power from on high. But even, even before the Spirit comes, they have been changed uh, from those who began as fearful and doubting to those who are full of joy, full of certainty that the resurrection is real, that it makes a difference. They will gladly give everything, these disciples, to proclaim that message. And so I wonder, will, will we? Do we have the same joy, the same certainty in the truth of the resurrection, the reality of it, it really happened. It's grounded in the Bible. And will that make us those who proclaim the risen Lord uh, to a listening world? If we're gonna do that, we need God's help, so why don't I finish by praying uh, for us? Let's pray together. Father, the reality of the resurrection is a, is a glorious truth, but one that we are uh, so often dull to, so often gets pushed out by uh, the other things that fill our minds. Father, thank you so much for Easter Sunday, for an opportunity to remember uh, the reality, the joyful certainty of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Father, thank you for the impact that has on us. Thank you that it makes us those who are able to speak of Jesus to those around us. Father, please would we do that today, tomorrow, uh, this week with joy, with real certainty, pointing people to the truth of your word. And would you use that for your glory? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.